What's the greatest danger people face in the world today? Uh, the destruction of the environment, the danger of terrorist attack, earthquakes, tsunamis, bushfires. But as Jesus looks at the world, he sees a danger far greater than any of those things. It's hidden. It seems irrelevant, it seems distant. Uh, it's a danger you never hear preached on very much. Uh, It's not pleasant, we don't like to talk about it or even think about it, but the reality is Jesus spoke about it over and over again. He warned people to flee it and not to risk it. It's the danger of hell, God's just eternal punishment for sinful rebels. Uh, Jesus spoke about hell uh, more than anyone else in the Bible. Nearly half his 40 parables teach about hell. Someone's calculated that 13% of Jesus' recorded words are to do with judgement and hell. Matthew 5.29, Jesus said, better to lose an eye or a hand than your whole body be thrown into hell. Matthew 7.19, he warned, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 10.28, he warns us to be afraid of God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 25.41, he describes what he'll say to the goats on judgement day, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 9.48, he describes hell as a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched. Now, they're probably metaphors for something worse. In other words, this is pain that keeps going forever. Matthew 8.12, it's a place of darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth where people are banished into loneliness. This is not a place where all your friends will be and it will be one big party. According to Jesus, hell is a place of eternal, conscious banishment, destruction, punishment and isolation. It's also not a place, notice, where Satan and his demons are the jailers. Uh, They're actually at the front of the line heading into the punishment as well, which is interesting. We may not like it, we may not understand it, we may not be sure whether the images are literal or symbolic, But if Jesus can be trusted, then hell is real. We need to listen to his warnings. We need to flee hell. We need to be motivated to warn others too. The most famous sermon ever preached in the history of America was delivered by Jonathan Edwards in Enfield, Connecticut in 1741. More than 250 years ago. It was titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And its theme was a warning against the danger of hell. We'll hear a little of that sermon soon and the effect it had. In the 250 years since, some have unfairly criticised the sermon as focusing on the punishment for non-Christians in the fires of hell. And yet, Edward's focus is exactly where God wants the focus to be. His focus is on the danger that people are facing and the sermon is all about warning people of the danger. 
And that's what God wants. He wants the sinner to be saved. It's entirely by God's mercy that we actually even know about hell. That's the first thing I want to say about the subject. God's mercy warns us about hell. In the Bible, uh, he warns us about hell so that we might turn from it. Jesus spent so much of his time telling people about it so we'd be saved from it. If God wanted people in hell, he wouldn't warn us. He'd set a trap and not tell anyone. But we saw this verse last week. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9 God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone with him. He wants hell empty. So let's be thankful for clear, consistent warnings that we have in the Bible as, as well as the sermons from people like Jonathan Edwards. So on the one hand, God doesn't want people in hell, but on the other, his justice demands hell. That's the second point, second thing we can say. At the moment, wicked people get away with it. Injustice rules, ungodliness rules and suffering. But that will only go on for so long. Eventually, God's nature means that justice must fall. The final, ultimate judgement His character as perfectly holy and righteous and just demands it. Revelation 20 gives us a fearful picture of God's just judgment. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence and there was no place for him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, That's the fate of any who don't belong to Jesus. On that day the life of everyone laid bare for God who sees everything and who judges with perfect justice and those who don't belong to Christ are cast into that dreadful place. Now, many Christians have a hard time understanding it, have a hard time understanding how a limited and finite sin for one lifetime, 70, 80 years, can be justly punished with eternity. It seems too severe. It seems a punishment that outweighs the crime. Well, let me say three things about that. Uh, Firstly, we can't possibly see sin the way God sees it. So we just have to trust his measurement of how serious a lifetime of sin is. The second thing we can say about the unfairness of eternity, of punishment, for a lifetime of sin. Second thing we can say is there's no indication, uh, as, as far as I can tell, that people will actually repent of their sin once they're in hell. People will certainly recognise who Jesus is, but in my reading of it, it, it seems likely that their rebellion will continue in hell. They won't be sorry. 
their anger at God for sending them to such a place will continue. Their rebellion against God's right to judge them will continue. Their pride at refusing to submit to God's will will continue. And so in that sense, if the rebellion is continuing for all eternity, then it's appropriate that the punishment also will be eternal. The third thing uh, I want to say about that is the fact that we struggle with the horror of this eternal punishment, the fact that we value people and that we don't want them in hell reflects something of God himself, doesn't it? The fact that God longs for all people to repent and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, we saw that in 1 Timothy 2.4. Uh, we see that in 1 Timothy 2.4. Uh, we react to the horror of it because we bear God's image. So we reflect something of his love for his creatures. It's right for us to grieve at the thought of people in hell just as God does. But the right response of that is to warn people and to point them to Jesus, not to doubt God's justice or to question the fairness of hell. Well, the third point I want to make about hell is that God's patience preserves us from hell. That's the point of the parable of the wheat and the weeds that Laurie read for us. Matthew 13. Uh, this parable is an unusual one. It's not one of the more common ones. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a field where a man sowed good seed, but during the night his enemy came and sowed weeds. Industrial sabotage. Both types of uh, plants sprouted and grew. The servants came along and said to the owner, the weeds are all, all the way through. What will we do? Should we try and pull the weeds out and leave behind the good plants? Should we separate the weeds now? But what does the owner say? Verse 29, no. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you'll root up the wheat as well. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. It's a parable about two sorts of people. It's a parable about judgement and hell. A bit further on in the chapter, Jesus explains it, down in verse 37. Jesus is the owner, the field is the world, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, non-Christians. The wheat stands for the sons of the kingdom and the world at the moment is the field that's growing. A mix of both sorts of people. Harvest is judgment day. Verse 40, he gets a bit more specific. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. He who has ears, let him hear. And the point I want to make uh, is from verse 30. Uh, The angels suggest punishing the wicked now, but Jesus says, no, wait. Uh, He he says to the angels, don't head out into the field, don't pull out the weeds yet, wait. Wait until judgment day. 
then it will be even clearer the ones who belong to me. More good can be done by my people if we wait. More evil can be done by the world if we wait. See the point? People deserve judgement and hell right now but Jesus holds back. 2 Peter 3.9 explains the reason. God's delay is not because he's slow, it's not because he's lazy, it's not because he's unjust or disorganised, it's because he's patient. It's not because people don't deserve it, people do. It's just that he wants as many as possible to come to him and receive mercy. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God, this very minute, could send people to an eternity without him and they deserve it. There is nothing they could do to avoid it apart from turn to Jesus. It is purely God's patience and his mercy that is preserving people from hell today. And that's one of the main points of Jonathan Edwards' sermon and I want to read you a little bit from it. It describes a couple of things. It describes the danger that non-Christians are in and it describes the patience God shows in keeping people from it. There's nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God his arbitrary will. There is no lack of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hands. We find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth. Thus easy is it for God, when he pleases, to cast his enemies down to hell. The wrath of God burns against them, their damnation does not slumber, the pit is prepared, the fire is made ready, the furnace is now hot, ready to receive them, the flames do now rage and glow, the glittering sword is wet and held over them and the pit hath opened its mouth under them. The devil stands ready to fall upon them and seize them as his own, at what moment God shall permit them. They belong to him. He has their souls in his possession and under his dominion. The devils watch them and they are ever by them at their right hand. They stand waiting for them like greedy hungry lions that see their prey and expect to have it but are for the present kept back. If God should withdraw his hand by which they are restrained, the devils are restrained, they would in one moment fly upon their poor souls. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? The danger that people are under, but at the same time, God who protects them from it and is patiently withholding his hand. Uh, That's the message of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And Edward wants to warn people who are oblivious, who think they're safe, He continues, it is no security to wicked men for one moment that there are no visible means of death at hand. 
It is no security to a man that he is now in health and that he does not see which way he should now immediately go out of the world by any accident and that there is no visible danger in any respect in his circumstances. The manifold and continual evidence of the world in all ages shows this is no evidence that a man is not on the very brink of eternity and that the next step will not be into another world. The unseen, unthought of ways and means of persons going suddenly out of the world are innumerable and inconceivable. (laughs) In other words, just because everything looks safe doesn't mean you're not one heartbeat away from death. God has so many different unsearchable ways of taking wicked men out of the world and sending them to hell. All the means that there are of sinners going out of the world are so in God's hands and so universally and absolutely subject to his power and determination. God is in control of our destinies. Every beat of our heart, every breath of our lungs, every accident avoided every natural disaster, every faulty appliance, every earth leakage tripping off. That's God. God's patience preserves people from hell. Fourth thing I want to say about hell is that it flows, uh, flows from the first three points. God warns us about hell. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to go there. Uh, The fourth thing is that hell is self-chosen. People choose it. People may may not want to be in hell, but they spend their lives choosing to ignore God, doing their own thing. Hell is the logical consequence of their choices. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.10 The work of Satan is displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. All will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You see the emphasis on their choice. They're choosing their eternal destiny based on their choices today. Jesus backs up that, John 3. talks about himself and the choice that people make about Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has, he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light. So the key to people's eternal fate is their attitude today towards Jesus. Choosing Jesus means choosing life. Refusing to choose Jesus means condemnation. Hell, rejecting Jesus, is self-chosen. Dominic Steele, the Anglican minister down the road at Annandale, tells the story uh, of trying to meet up with a family member 
who had cut off contact years earlier over a misunderstanding. No one even remembered what the original fight was about. Uh, Dominic was going on holidays to the town where this guy lived and so when he arrived he phoned him up and said, Hi Jack, it's Dominic, just wondering if you'd like to meet up for coffee. I know it's been a long time uh, since we've spoken but I'd really like to mend some fences. How about it? No, I'm not interested, please don't call again. And he hung up. Dominic looked at the mobile at the screen on his mobile, call time, twenty three seconds. Years of not speaking, and that was the limit of the conversation. Now if that if I was Dominic I would have just left it at that, I think. Uh, but Dominic stewed over things for the rest of the day and, and he phoned back. Look, I know you said you weren't interested, but perhaps I can just leave you my phone number and if you change your mind, I'm here for the rest of the week and we can meet up. Give me a call. No, I don't want your phone number. No, I won't change my mind. And he hung up again. Call time, 18 seconds. It's not getting any better. I think perhaps Dominic's a slow learner, but he said he had the most miserable holiday. He spent the whole time thinking about the two conversations and what he could have said differently. Should he ring back? And as he was leaving town at the end of the week and he drove down the freeway, he came to the exit that would take him to Jack's place. And he says it took all his self-control to keep driving and not take the exit. But he kept driving because he respected Jack's opinion. He'd made it perfectly clear and Dominic respected his choice and left him alone. And that's what it's like with God. Hell is God's ultimate display of respect for man's choice. Man chooses not to want a relationship with him and hell is God respecting that choice. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book The Problem of Pain says this, Sin is man saying to God throughout life, go away and leave me alone. Hell is God's finally saying to man, you may have your wish. It is God's leaving man to himself as man has chosen. That's the fourth thing to say about hell, it's self-chosen. Well, there's probably lots we could uh, say as well, but I want to leave it there and finish with the question that we've been asking each week through this series, so what? Well, it's fairly obvious, I think, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, This is a truth that's 100% relevant to 100% of people. If you're not a Christian, you are in danger of hell. Turn from your rebellion and turn to Jesus. If you are a Christian then let the awfulness of hell motivate you to warn people. God loves his world so much, he sent Jesus to save people from hell. That is our message. That should motivate us. Here's how Edwards summed up. Here was his application. The use of this awful subject may be for awakening unconverted persons in this congregation. This 
that you have heard is the case of every one of you that are out of Christ. That world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone is extended abroad under you. There is a dreadful pit of glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth open and you have nothing to stand upon nor anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but the air. It is only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. In other words, heed the warning. Do something. Repent. Trust Jesus and God will welcome you home and rescue you. Let me finish by describing the effect that sermon had from others who wrote about it. Before the sermon had finished, people were moaning and crying out, what shall I do to be saved? An eyewitness account reported that there was such a breathing of distress and weeping that the preacher was obliged to speak to the people and desire silence that he might be heard. Another eyewitness wrote in his diary, prayer was made. And after that we descended from the pulpit and discoursed with the people, some in one place and some in another. So he was one of the the prayer counsellors. And amazing and astonishing was the power of God that was seen and several souls were hopefully wrought on that night. And oh, the cheerfulness and pleasantness of their countenances that received comfort. Oh, that God would strengthen and confirm We sung a hymn and prayed and dismissed the assembly. And that's what we're going to do now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for warning us. We thank you for preserving us. We thank you for providing the means with which we can escape hell. We thank you for your patience that withholds judgement. Change us, O Lord. For any who don't know you, please grant them forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness of sins and salvation. For those of us who do know you, burn into our hearts a desire to warn people. Give us wisdom and words and grace to do that well, that people might be rescued. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.